Hello and welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending where you're located. Wherever you're listening to us right now, we truly hope you are well. May God bless you. Welcome to another week of sharing God's Word. We hope in the Lord that you are finding our ministry helpful in some way. What we strive for at minimum is to help you think and meditate on things, at least a little bit, whether you're a first-time listener whether you're a follower of Christ or whether you're a person that is just curious and undecisive regarding any kind of faith. Whatever your own particular situation may be, we would love to hear from you and try to help in any way we're able to, whether you have questions, prayer requests, or just want other friends to be included in our weekly contact. Meanwhile, and as part of our prayer moment, I would like to encourage you to pray regularly for Christians that are being persecuted in different places of the world. And by persecution, we mean people being killed, jailed, tortured, and so on, with the goal to make them turn away from their faith in Christ. There are many countries that are truly persecuting Christians on a daily basis. Among countries that actively allow extreme persecution are North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, Pakistan, Eritrea, Libya, Iraq, Yemen, Iran, and India. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world that God may help them, may protect them, and strengthen them. So having said that, let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we I praise you and I worship you, O Lord. Blessing and honor and glory be to you forever and ever. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I pray first that you please forgive my sins, Lord. Please always uh, remember me in your grace and in your mercy. I pray, Heavenly Father, now, Lord God, for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ that are suffering, Lord God, because of their faith in you. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray in the name of Jesus for your divine protection, for your intervention, Lord God, for your safety, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you may help them, that you may guide them, that you may strengthen them, Lord God, whatever they're going through. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, please remember them in your mercy and in your grace. Lord, you gave us fair warning in your word that there would be persecution, that there would be tough times, that it would be hard to stand up for the truth. But Heavenly Father, you also promised that you would be with us through those moments, through those times. But I pray also, Lord God, that your grace may even extend a little bit more, and Heavenly Father, that you may, that you may just be able to deliver them from the hardships that they're going. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray now that you please guide us through your word, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you help us to understand. Heavenly Father, that you help us to, to bring in your word into us and that it may do what it needs to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today, we'll be looking at the church of Thyatira. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 to 29. And it says like this, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, surface, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual morality, and eat things sacrificed to idols, and I gave her time to repent for her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, 
unless they repent of her deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a wrought iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, regarding Thyatira's background, it is very similar to the other church locations we've been looking at. It was a wealthy town, and of course, paganistic, which we'll get into a little while longer. It was located in the northern part of Lydia, the Roman province of Asia, on the river Lycus. It was located right on the border of Mysia. Its early history is not well known because it used to be a, a small and insignificant town until it was refounded by Seleucus Nicator between 301 and 281 BC. It is now known as the modern Turkish city of Akasur, which means White Castle. As far as its spiritual background, during the time the letter was written, it was very similar to the other churches we've already looked at also. It was very paganistic, with rampant sexual morality. Both the paganism and morality of the town had infiltrated the morality of many people within the church. As we will see a little further on, especially it infiltrated some in certain ways even the leadership. At the beginning of the message, the Lord reveals himself explicitly in his divine attributes and persona. He says he is the Son of God, signifying his divinity, that he is God. He describes his eyes like a flame of fire, not only to illustrate something that is intimidating, but to reveal the essence that is within his being. The Bible explains in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, that the lamp of the body is the eye. The Bible also says that he is consuming fire, meaning God. He also mentions his feet like fine brass, and brass is a sign of strength. The Lord continues on by explaining that he knows their works or actions, their love, their service, their faith and patience, and that their works have gotten even better as time has progressed. But he has a problem with the church, or rather a few problems. The first issue he talks about is regarding a woman that is like Jezebel. By using Jezebel to explain what this woman is like, he is ultimately referring to the woman Jezebel that was involved with the most decadent period of the kingdom of Israel. Jezebel was a terrible influence on the king by encouraging idolatry and paganism, the persecution and killing of the prophets and priests that stood for was right before the eyes of God. Jezebel was by far the worst person that was ever around the throne of Israel. And in this passage, he explains further that this Jezebel-like person claimed that she was a prophetess, or rather a person that speaking on God's behalf, teaching evil things like if they were commanded by God, such as committing sexual immorality. This particular issue was not only evil within itself because of condoning and teaching that sexual immorality was right, but as shared in past times, she enticed them and taught them that it was godly truth to commit sexual immorality as part of pagan and occult rituals. She was also involved with teaching that it is fine to eat those things that were sacrificed to idols. 
And the issue with that is that by eating things that were sacrificed to the idols, a person was becoming a part of the ritual itself in some sort of manner. So needless to say, everything this woman stood for and taught as doctrinal truth was greatly detestable before the eyes of the Lord, and people within the church were falling into her misguiding. Here is something that we need to be aware of, that there is a responsibility or accountability for knowing the truth, and not only disregarding the truth, but going directly against it. Once you have been exposed to the truth of God, you are liable for it. And the Lord was leaving very clear that there is punishment involved here on earth for such things, just like after. There is something that has not changed. Even though we are living in the time of the dispensation of God's grace through Jesus Christ, and that is that God will allow for the consequences of someone's wrong actions to come upon them. That everything you do, whether it is wrong or right, it will come back to you. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Everything we do has consequences here on earth and before the judgment seat of Christ as well. And this applies to the believer. I need to make this distinction, however, or clarification. If you did not know the truth of God and have repented from all of your sins, God will forgive you. But there may still be some natural consequences to your past actions. Although, no one knows just how far God's grace will extend. What this passage is mainly referring to is to those people who know the truth, but do and teach against that truth knowingly. The Bible also explains this in Hebrews chapter 10. For if we sin willfully after we have received the full knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So if someone tells you that if you're a believer and you sin willfully, that nothing will happen to you, they are simply lying to you. Grace cannot protect you from willfully practicing sin, especially after you have been made fully aware of His truth. The practice of sin has consequences. The Bible also explains this in Galatians chapter 5, that now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, sound godly doctrine will never condone a lifestyle of sin. Grace never justifies the practice of sin. So moving on. 
The Lord continues to encourage those that do remain faithful to Him and His teachings to continue persisting in doing that which is right, to overcome. What many need to understand is that although starting in the Lord is necessary, it is even more critical and vital to endure in the Lord until the very end. It's like finishing a race. You get no recognition for running in the race if you don't finish it. We need to finish strong in the Lord, carrying our cross daily until we see Him face to face so we can hear the sweet and fulfilling words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter, enter the joy of your Lord. And finally, as is His custom in all of these messages, He encourages everyone to listen to hear what the Spirit says. And His calling is always for people to turn away from doing wrong things. It's never too late to turn away from your sins. So in summary, and the whole reason for why the Lord allowed for these different messages to be written, is because He does not desire to condemn people, but rather He is in the business of restoring, of changing, of transforming broken lives and bringing them to fulfill their highest potential through the grace of Jesus Christ, the prompting and empowering of the Holy Spirit, and through the teaching of His Holy Word. God wants to bless everyone, and that can only happen when we become His faithful disciples by doing what He wants us to do for Him. Let's pray. Lord, I give You thanks and I praise You for Your Word and for Your truth. I give you thanks, O Lord, because you have nothing but good intentions for us. Heavenly Father, help us to understand what we do wrong. And help us, O Lord, to be able to have a heart to desire to change. Not to hang on to that, but to let you work in us. Help us, O Lord, to understand that if we hang on to our sin, if we hang on to those things that dishonor you and ultimately destroy us, that nothing good will come out of it, Lord. Help us, O oh Lord, to be able to have soft and moldable hearts. Help us to understand before it is too late. To understand that we need to love you, but also that we need to fear you. And we also need to understand that you are a loving but holy God. Heavenly Father, help us, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as always, please feel free to write us at our ministry website at thelatterrain.org if you have any questions or prayer requests. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. May God bless you.